Podcastle, episode 220, for August 7th, 2012. Iron Eyes in the Watered Down World, by Saladin Ahmed. Rated R for violence and strong language, including F-bombs and sexual discussions, as only barbarian bunnies can deliver. Enjoy! Hello and welcome back to Podcastle. I'm Dave Thompson, and today we've rolled up our sleeves to deliver a story for your ears that's full of swords, magic, blood, sex, and anthropomorphic bunny rabbits. That's right. I said anthropomorphic bunny rabbits. This is a sword and sorcery tale, my friends. And so getting ready for this episode, I spent a little bit too much time thinking about bunnies and their relationship to genre fiction. Now, there are some obvious examples here. Who can forget that most vorpal of bunnies, the killer rabbit of Carbonog? Hi. <laughs> I had to watch that scene before recording this, and oh my god, the hilarity of something so soft and sweet and cuddly ripping apart Arthur's knights. That's oh, amazing. Then there's my personal favorite, Bunicula. And, wow, if you guys haven't read Banicula, you need to check that book out ASAP. It's actually a series of books about Harold the dog and Chester the cat, and they solve mysteries and fight crime. But the first one, Banicula, is when they get a new pet rabbit, and they start to realize it might just be a vampire. So great. Uh, then finally, there's Jackson the Rabbit from the old Star Wars Marvel comics, who was one of Han Solo's sidekicks. Now, as a kid, I remember glancing at those comics, seeing a green-haired bunny rabbit fighting beside Luke Skywalker and thinking, this is not the comic you're looking for. As an adult, well, I have to admit, some things just get better with age, and I'm thinking fantastical bunny rabbits? Those are definitely on the list. Especially when compared to Jar Jar. Well, in today's story, the tradition of fantastical bunny rabbits has continued on with Saladin Ahmed's Iron Eyes and the Watered Down World, read by Cheyenne Wright. This story was originally published on Saladin Ahmed's website at saladinahmed.com. We'll link to that in our show notes so you can read along with us if you'd like. Saladin Ahmed is the author of Throne of the Crescent Moon, an action-packed epic fantasy novel that's less than 300 pages. We featured a spotlight here on it recently, and we've also featured several of his stories before, such as Hooves in the Hovel of Abdel Jamila and Mr. Hodge's Sunset Ride. You can find him online at SaladinAhmed.com. Our reader for this week's story is the three-time Hugo Award-winning colorist of Girl Genius, not to mention one of our favorite narrators, Cheyenne Wright. Visit him online at arcanetimes.com to check out his lovely gallery of art and find out what else he's up to these days. Now, don't mind that cut, really. It's only a flesh wound. Enjoy the story. Iron Eyes and the Watered Down World by Saladin Ahmed Zok Iron Eyes stared at the tile card table before him and cursed softly as Hi-Hi clacked down the dragoness tile with a gloating grunt. Hi-Hi looked up from the table and locked her shiny black eyes on the innkeeper, her nose and whiskers twitching. 
The scraggle-haired, red-faced fool avoided Hi-Hi's gaze with the shame of a man who had been caught staring. Zok couldn't fault the innkeeper's curiosity. The man had probably only seen a handful of rabbit men in his life, for few of Hi-Hi's people ever made it this far south. But if the proprietor of the preposterously named King's Crest Inn didn't watch himself, he was like to get his nose broken at least. Hi-Hi wasn't one to indulge untraveled bumpkins gawking. This innkeeper ain't more careful with his stares. He's going to find himself smiling that swindler's smile with only half a face, she said. Her furry, four-fingered paw drifted to the hilt of one of her twin sabers as she peered skeptically into the hammered brass mug before her. And if this is true ruby wine, then my father was a fucking fox lord. Her paw left her sword and pulled at the pink-tinged end of one of her white ears. Thousand gods damned hicks and their thousand gods damned dyed wines, she muttered before looking up to level a weary gaze at Zok. We need to spend our spoils in a real city again, Zok. I'm sick to death of these pathetic little dust-bucket shithole towns. Not cozy enough to be a village. Not busy enough to be a city. And where in the three hells is that priest of ours, anyway? Zok shrugged. This is where the four fickle gods of the road have led us. And I'm sure that Malovic will be here soon, he said, only half listening. He eyed the tile card table again and saw that he was screwed. Hi-Hi had put the Dragoness into play as soon as Zok had used up all his night cards. A better player might have wormed his way out of such a corner, but Zok had played enough games against Hi-Hi to know that this wasn't going to happen. He sighed over his lost coins and studied the Dragoness tile. The inn's tile card set was an old one, painted in the ornate Emerald Empire style the dragoness depicted not as a serpent, but as a beautiful green-eyed woman, a woman that looked enough like Freya that it made Zok sigh a second time. He reached into his purse to pluck out a forfeit coin and paused, running a calloused finger over the thick gold-hoop earring he'd carried for all these years. Sometimes he almost thought he could feel his wife Freya call to him when he touched the earring. But of course, Freya was a decade dead and gone. Zok withdrew his forfeit coin, but he kept his hand closed around it and stared at the table for another long moment. Surely there was some opening left to him. One of the inn's serving boys came to the table and refilled Zok's mug, the fourth time he'd done so in half as many hours. Hi-Hi cursed the boy for the swill his master served, and Zok looked up from his hopeless situation to stare at the lad. The witless little fool stumbled and bumped Zok, half tripping over his chair in fear and just barely managing not to spill the black ale all over Zok. Zok watched the mousy-haired boy scurry away, and he snorted to himself in disgust. When did the world's young men become so weak? Spineless sulkers or giggling idiots, all of them. Where were the fathers who ought to be molding them into true men? It was worse here in the South, but it was more or less the same everywhere these days. Just another sign of a watered-down world. Every time Zok chanced upon his reflection in a gazing glass, he saw more and more gray hairs threaded amongst the red. Every day he felt more like Menace, the bespelled broadsword at his hip, a deadly, 
out-of-place relic from another era. The women nowadays were no different from the boys. In the years since Freya had died, Zok had hired whores in half the world's cities and villages. For no matter how much he missed his wife, he was still a man. A man full of fuck and fight, as Freya used to say admiringly. Hi Hi herself had said more than once that they only worked together so well because human and rabbit men couldn't copulate. Zok had seen the savage vigor with which she pursued her own race's males whenever they were in the north. Hi Hi claimed to have left seventy-four children scattered across Amethyst Empire cities, and more than once she'd rode off with Zok, leaving some soft, pleading rabbit man and his litter of children with nothing but a handful of coins and hard words. That was a wandering warrior's way, though it wasn't Zox's. Since Freya, he never betted a woman without hearing her oath that she was a barren tea drinker. For if Zox still had a man's needs, he nonetheless knew that he would never marry again, nor sire children, that he would never love again. Whoring was a different thing. The exchange of coin for cunny was a transaction, and thus not quite a betrayal of Freya's memory. Somehow it felt less disloyal to pay for what he needed. He told himself Freya would understand this. Hi-Hi gestured to the board and bared her long front teeth in a sympathetic smile. So, can we call this a maid match? I mean, I'm willing to bury your ugly nose deeper into the shit pile if you insist, but I think we both know where this is going. Zok grunted his surrender and threw down his forfeit coin, and his two useless tiles. Hi-Hi's whiskers twitched as she scooped coins from the table into her purse. Honestly, Zok, I don't know why you keep playing me. Four out of five times I drain you dry. I'm starting to think you like humiliation. She stood and stretched, her long ears stiffening as she wiped wine from her white fur face. Speaking of draining, I have to piss. She held the table and steadied herself. Whoa, this dyed wine might taste like fox piss, but it did the trick. Twelve mugs usually doesn't do shit for me. She headed tipsily out the inn's back door to the privies. Alone at the table, Zok looked around the inn again with beer-blurred contempt. The South. Freya's people were from somewhere near here, though she left her home as a girl. Her spirit had been too big to be bound or broken by dust-choked streets and backwater poverty. If only her body had been so invulnerable. For the ten-thousandth time in his life, Zok saw in his mind's eye the toad-headed demon that killed Freya, the demon that had escaped his vengeance. Hi-Hi returned to the table and sat down. She picked up her mug, found it empty, and slammed it down again with an annoyed grunt just as their traveling trio's last member walked through the inn's open front doorway. What ho, boon companions! Milovic beamed as he approached their table, his thick, rust-colored robes hanging heavily in the windless air. The squinty little red-headed priest ought to have been sweating his balls off, but his divine sorcery apparently kept him cool. Just as it had kept him from shivering when Zok had met the man in the witch's teat tavern in the great northern city of Frostlock, three, no, four years ago now? What ho yourself, holy man, Hi-Hi said irritably. 
So what did your precious prayers tell you? Where in the three hells are we headed next? Malovic pulled chair to table, smiled a far too wide smile, and blinked bloodshot eyes. Well, the temples here are, uh, less than ideal in their facilities. The road gods' idols, in particular, are poorly maintained, and thus their wishes are far from clear here. Hi, hi, eyed the priest's stupid grin and twitched her whiskers in annoyance. And I suppose it doesn't help that you've got a head full of pink puppy incense, does it? Priest, you reek of the stuff. Have you been smoking it since we left you this morning? The last time you tried to make a god's contract with your head full of pink puff clouds, you directed us to that abandoned mine, and we ended up knee-fucking-deep in green glamlands. The priest spread his hands before him in a helpless gesture. That wasn't my fault, sweet high-high. But we've had this argument too many times before. Anyway, all my god's contact has told me is that vengeance and riches lie north along the road of three lakes, and that we should leave tomorrow at first light. North? Well, Hi Hai said, her ears unstiffening in mild mollification. That at least is good news. If I'm never south of the Green Cross again, it'll be too fucking soon. Malovic bowed his head. I am happy to bring you happy news. Now, will one of you pour me a drink? My supplications have left my mouth parched. Hi, hi, scanned the room in irritation. Where is that half-witted serving boy, anyway? Such shitty service. That boggle-eyed innkeeper's lucky these fucking bumpkins have never seen a real drinking house. If they knew any better, he'd be out of business. Well, I'll leave this to you two. I'm done here, Zock said and he was surprised to find himself well and truly drunk already. It didn't happen that often. He was a big man, after all, as experienced at drinking as he was at killing. Hi-Hi was right. However unsubtle and bitter this town's drink was, it did what it was supposed to do. It wasn't until he came to his feet that he realized he was more than drunk. He started to swoon. His head was heavier than black beer could account for. Drugged. Zock took a few stumbling steps, then his head spun, and he felt himself fall. He heard shouting and things being knocked over, and the next thing he knew he felt Malovic's cool hands on him, and heard the priest humming a hymn to the god of purity. Instantly Zock's head cleared, and his stomach stopped lurching. He came to his feet quickly and saw the inn's patrons fleeing. Hi-Hi, whose rabbit metabolism made her nearly impossible to drug or poison, had the innkeeper pinned against his bar, one saber on either side of his throat. The little bit of tipsiness she'd shown was gone now. This idiot tried the old bad beer burgle on us? Doesn't he know warriors when he sees them? Zock remembered the seemingly clumsy serving boy bumping into him. Instinctively his hand went to his purse. It was still there and digging in it he found that it still held all the coins that Hi-Hi hadn't won from him. Then he realized that Freya's earring was gone. Zock screamed like a wounded beast and knocked over two tables. He turned to the pinned-down innkeeper, whose eyes widened with terror. Hi-Hi sheathed one saper and yanked the innkeeper up by his greasy long hair. 
You just fucked with the wrong folk, friend, she shouted in the man's face, clearly enjoying the chance to indulge in a bit of brutality. Your drug drink didn't work. Now, I've still got my purse, so this isn't a simple robbery, is it? She shoved him towards Zok. Zok grabbed the innkeeper by his shirt and slapped him hard enough to rattle the man's teeth. Where is my wife's earring? He boomed. Either the innkeeper was a very good actor, or he was generally confused. Please, don't hurt me, masters. I, I don't know what you're talking about. By the twin gods of truth, I swear it. Zok put his hands around the man's throat. Hi-Hi's whiskers twitched dangerously. You tried to knock us out. Give me one good reason why I shouldn't chop your balls off before my friend chokes you to death. My wife's earring! Zok shouted again. The innkeeper sputtered and his eyes bulged. Molovic put a calming hand on Zok's shoulders. Zok loosened his grip. The priest cast a sympathetic grimace on the innkeeper's pain. My friends have been wronged here. If you know anything at all, good sir, I suggest you tell them. They can be most unreasonable. The five gods of fury have nothing on Hi-Hi when she's of a mind to hurt someone. The innkeeper cast a wild look around him, as if he might find answers amidst the inn's rafters and tables. Uh, the boy! It must have been the new boy, Sorgo. He's only been working here a fortnight, masters. I know him not. I swear, I know nothing of drugs or burgling. <laughs> the man began to weep and burble. <laughs> please, please, masters. Hi-hi sheathed her second saber. I think he's telling the truth. She seemed disappointed. Zok drew a deep, steadying breath. Well, someone just drugged us. Someone who didn't give a god's damn for my coin and just stole something specific from me. Something very important. If it wasn't done on your order, it was still done under your roof. Tell us about the boy. The words spilled forth in a sputtering stream. He, he, he's called Sorgo Masters, uh, a street boy. The, the higher guard took him in a, a few years ago. They gave me his work cheat for a year as repayment for a debt. Where is he now? Hi, I asked. I don't, I don't know. Most days he's here until I close, but... The man gestured helplessly at the empty room and overturned tables. He's your boy, but he doesn't live here, Zok asked, sounding calmer than he felt. No, Master, I've no room for him, and no obligation to feed him. He still sleeps at the higher guard's hall. Still does some cleaning and such for them before he does his duties here each day. Well, we're going to find him. You can be God's damn sure. And if he points his grubby little finger back this way, innkeeper, you're dead. You stay closed for now. Shut your door. Don't go anywhere. And don't say a God's damn word to anyone. You got me? Yes. Yes, yes, of course. Anything you say, masters. 
Malovic leaned in and brushed a hand over the man's shirt, smoothing out wrinkles. Some advice, good sir. Do exactly as my friend says. Don't think to run or call on the higher god. I swear by the twin gods of truth that it won't end well for you if you defy her. The innkeeper swallowed loudly, then nodded. Now, Zok said, give us directions. Half an hour later, they walked the squalid streets of a town that seemed half empty. Hi-Hi drawing stairs with each step. As they neared the higher guard hall, Zok realized they needed to be more discreet. At his urging, Molovic mumbled a prayer to the gods of sight, and the stairs stopped as the priest's eye-slide spell took effect. Under the spell's hold, a gaggle of giggling boys playing some stupid chase game plowed past the companions, half heedless of what they were doing. Again, Zok found himself snorting with disgust for the young. In his home village, boys that size would be learning to work a blacksmith's bellows, or to lift a broadsword. A buxom black-eyed lass passed by, and Zok's irritation melted away. Without meaning to, he followed her swaying hips with his eyes, which earned him a back-to-business poke in the gut from high-high. Milovic, meanwhile, paid the girl no notice. Like all priests, he'd had his desire for women magically shorn from him in exchange for his strange powers. The gelding rites were supposed to strip a priest's bodily desires, but it seemed to Zok that Milovic had merely replaced his lust for flesh with a doubled lust for poppy smoke and nose dust. Finally, they came to the gray stone hall of the higher guard, one of the largest buildings in town. As with many smaller southern towns, the amethyst empress didn't deign to use her legionnaires here. Instead, this dust hole was policed by imperially sanctioned mercenaries. Zok gestured his companions into an alley with a view of the hall. He took a long, appraising look, then turned to Milovic and jerked a thumb back at the hall. You've seen my wife's earrings many times, man. Can you use your powers to tell me if it's in there? Milovic nodded once and took Zok's thick wrists in his own small, soft hands. The priest spoke in a more forceful voice than his normal lilt. Keep your eyes open, but picture the thing you're looking for now, Zok Iron Eyes. Now turn your palms upward. Milovic closed his own eyes and screwed up his face in concentration. He started to sweat, and he seemed to stop breathing. After a few long moments, he exhaled loudly, released Zok's wrists, and nodded. His voice was his own again. The god of lost things says that what you seek is indeed in that building, my friend. Hi-Hi's shiny eyes narrowed. You're sure about this, holy man? This isn't some poppy-chomp-fueled guess, is it? Oh, sweet Hi-Hi, I swear, a man not blessed as I am by the three gods of patience might grow tired of your constant doubting. Both of you keep your mouths shut, Zok said who was no mood for his companion's bickering banter. So what now? Milovic asked. Do we announce ourselves and tell them how their houseboy has wronged us? The higher guard aren't exactly known for their openness or honesty. Hi-Hi snorted. No, they ain't. So the lawful approach won't work. We could crack that nut. 
she said softly, echoing Zok's thoughts as she gestured toward the hall. But it would make a thousand gods' damned lot of noise. Zok nodded. We'll be as quiet as we can. We go around back. He started to move, but Hi Hi's paw on his shoulder stopped him. Zok, I know you don't want to hear this. But as your sword sister, I have to say it. This is only a trinket we're hunting here. We can go in there, and we can reclaim what's yours. But that won't bring your friar back. Zok looked at Hi Hi, and he knew there was murder in his gray eyes. I'm going in. You two don't have to come. Malovic smiled negligently. In for a card, in for a tile, I say. I'm with you, oh, gigantic one. Hi-Hi's ears stiffened and she studied Zok for a moment. Your wife must have been quite a woman. Quite a woman. Of course I'm with you too. Let's do it. Making their way in without being noticed proved easy enough. A simple alarm ward which Malovic neutralized, and an unimpressive stone wall that even the priests surmounted with a little help from Hi-Hi. The hall wasn't really built to prevent entry. Zok doubted that anyone in this town of cowards had even ever tried this. A moment after they vaulted over the wall, the two guards wearing the shield and jewel higher guard livery rounded a corner, nearly bumping into Zok. The fools broke off their chatter and stood slack-jawed for half a moment before fumbling for their scabbards. Clearly, the mercenaries weren't used to intruders, as they tried to handle the threat themselves instead of sounding the alarm. Hi-Hi gutted one with her sabers before he even got his weapon out. The other was quicker, but Zok knocked his sword away and cut him down in two strokes. They hid the bodies behind a scraggly bush, then found a cellar entrance. It was unguarded and unlocked. Zok found himself almost disappointed by the mercenaries' laxity. They filed inside and found the cellar empty. Zok wasn't surprised. A piss-pot half-dead town like this barely warranted a higher guard hall in the first place. No doubt this one was manned by a minimum complement of men. But, he saw by the light shaft seeping in at the cellar door, that didn't mean the place was devoid of wealth. The high-ceiling cellar held earth apple sacks and ale casks, yes, but there were also lockboxes here, and porcelains, and bound chests meant to hold valuables. It made no sense. But there was the evidence before their eyes. Hi-Hi whistled softly. Well, 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 she whispered. Her glance flicked to an open stairway at the far wall, which likely connected the cellar to the rest of the building, then returned to the lockboxes. This isn't what we're here for, Zok began, but Malovic cut him off. No, my friend, but this wealth. We'd be fools not to take notice. Greed was the only thing that ever united Hi-Hi and the priest. A great pile of iron barrels and ebonwood chests sat in the corner. Hi-Hi stooped to examine a chest, running a furry finger over the lock. Wait! Zok shouted, sensing something was wrong. Hi-Hi jumped back, but it was too late. There was a great nerve-shearing metallic screech, like the gates of all three hells thrown open at once. The barrels and boxes quaked and shifted as if lifted by an unseen hand. 
Zok and his companions watched in horror as the containers tumbled onto the one another and rose, melting together and resolving themselves into something vaguely man-shaped. Something eight feet tall and twice as wide at the shoulders as Zok. Hi hi, the first to shake off her shock, drew her swords. Fox shit and fire! A thief smasher! A fox fucking thief smasher! Zok gripped Menace's hilt. Milovic, can't you do something here? The priest shook his head. It's warded against supplication spells. I'm no use here. He backed away several steps. Hi-Hi, though, moved forward, her sabers slashing fast as lightning at the thing's iron and ebony hide. Zok had seen their spell-sharpened steel slice a man's hand off in one pass, but at each blade stroke, the lumbering thing before them merely jerked about a bit harder, as if annoyed by the bites of an insect. Still, Hi-Hi's thrust slashes kept the thing distracted and off-balance. It focused its pulverizing punches on her, and she was fast enough to stay one step ahead of its strikes, until she grew tired. Then the fight would turn. But Zok wasn't afraid. Menace had been forged in the fires of the Daggerpath Mountains to fight both men and magical beasts. The broadsword glowed golden in his hands as he leapt forward. The thief smasher's barrel fist slammed down like massive hammers once, then twice, missing Zok by a hair's breadth each time. Its attention was split now between he and a high eye, which meant they had a chance here. Zok swung hard at the thing's arm, and menace burned ever brighter. Blue sparks flew as Zok's sword sheared away half an ebonwood arm. The thief smasher thrust out an iron-bound knee and caught Zok square in the chest. He shouted in pain, then fell to the floor, struggling to catch his breath. Hi-Hi leapt over and stood before Zok protectively. She jammed her sabers in and out of the thing's ruined half-arm like rapiers, and it backed off a few huge steps, apparently more vulnerable on its insides. Zok fought past the pain and struggled to his feet. Behind him he heard Milovic mumbling. The priest had said his invocations were useless. Hi-Hi pressed her assault, forcing the creature to turn its back on Zok. The thief-smasher guarded its wounded arm, though, and Hi-Hi's little leaps grew slower. A few more minutes of this, and the thing would pulverize her. Zok dug deep within himself for the battle madness he needed. He shot forward again, menace, cleaving out ahead of him. Again the blue sparks flew, and a great gash opened the Thief Smasher's barrel back. The creature turned and seemed to stare at Zok, though it had no eyes. Zok braced himself for another assault, but just then Molovic ceased his mumbling, and the air grew thick with scents of rust and rot. There was another shearing sound, like the one that had brought the thing to life. Then the Thief Smasher collapsed in a pile of chests and barrels. Zok and his companions barely managed to hop out of the way of the debris. Zok turned to Milovic, who was panting. It was only the things outside that were warded. Once it was wounded, I sapped the false life that... The priest's words were cut off as the door at the top of the stairways burst open, and six higher guards, swords drawn, stormed down the stairs. Zok met their charge, planting his feet on the stairway so that only one man could come down at a time. 
He drove his sword through the foremost swordsman's shield and jewel tabard, through chainmail, through innards. The man fell, tripping up the man just behind him. Hi-Hi leapt about at the stairway's exposed side, her sabers darting in and out. Whenever she leapt, Min bled. The other mercenaries struggled to step clear of their now-dead compatriots' bodies, but Menace met them as they reached the bottom of the stairs. Zok took a few blade grazes, but soon half a dozen higher guards lay dead. Well, we've been found, he boomed to his companions. So let's find what we came for and get out of here. Stepping over the dead men, he scrambled up the stairs. Another knot of higher guards stood in the building's large main room, weapons at the ready. But they weren't what interested Zok. As he heard his compatriots rush up behind him, he caught a glimpse of a mousy-haired little figure behind the armed men, the little shit who had stolen his wife's earring. The boy spotted Zok, squawked, and ran up another stairway on the room's far side. Zok growled at the four men before him, just as High High and Malovic reached his side. High High's blades dripped with gore, as did menace, and gods of flame played between Malovic's palms. Zok imagined they made for quite a sight, the sort of weak, seated cowards that passed for mercenaries this far south. And indeed, though they had a great advantage of numbers, the mercenaries looked terrified. The Empress! The Empress sent them! She knows! One of the men shouted. Zok had no idea what the fool was blathering about, but the rest of the men looked even more afraid at these words. As one, Zok and Hi-Hi surged forward, swords slicing out. Two men fell screaming. The rest broke, shoving each other out of the way as they made for the door. Zok ignored them, heading for the far staircase to the second floor, without saying a word to Hi-Hi or Malovic. He took the stairs three at a time, heedless of any possible threats. From the second floor landing, Zok could see three wooden doors, all closed. Behind one, his keen hearing picked up the sound of someone, a boy, perhaps, crying. Pathetic, Zok thought as he heard his companions rush up behind him. Zok gestured towards the door with his sword held and prepared to kick it in. But Malovic grabbed his shoulder. Wait, wait, Zok. Something is wrong here. All is not as it seems. I, I smell something. Zok tore away from the priest's grip and gave him an irritated look, but he stopped cold at the fear in Malovic's eyes. The priest squinted hard at the door and sniffed the air his nose twitching as if in an imitation of high-highs. Demon flame, Molovic said at last. The stuff of the hells. I can't say what it means, Zok. But if your wife's memento was mixed up in this somehow, you have to tread carefully here. Molovic was a shirker, who lived in smoke and powder land half the time, but he was also a true friend and he knew more of unearthly matters than Zok ever would. Zok had come to trust his judgment. Well, what do we do then? Hi-Hi asked impatiently. We can't stand here all day. Can you do a scrying on that door? Zok asked. I can try, but I'm swiftly running out of favors with the gods here, my friend, Molovic said, a rare note of annoyance entering his voice. After this little adventure is over, 
You owe me at least a month in a good city inn, snorting as much three-leaf and drinking as much mushroom tea as I can hold. Somehow, Zok managed to smile. It's a deal. Molovic knelt before the door and gestured for Zok to do the same. Hi-Hi stood guard, her ears twitching nervously, but it seemed no more higher guards were coming. Molovic said some words in a lilting chant, then placed a hand on Zok's neck, and suddenly it was as if a large hole had appeared in the wood before him. Through the hole that was not a hole, Zok saw the mousy-haired serving boy standing before a mirrored washbasin. The whelp held Freya's earring out before him, and the washbasin was full of green flames. I've waited so long for you to return, the boy said to the flames, sobbing his words out. But he's after me. The one you told me to take the earring from, he's downstairs. He'll kill me. You've got to help me. Zok's heart almost stopped when he saw the warty, mud-colored face in the flames that the boy spoke to. It was the toad-headed demon that had killed Freya. That does not matter, the demon rasped and grunted. Place the earring in the basin. Molovic whispered in awe. Toad-headed, you've spoken of this before. Is that the demon that killed your wife? The one you've been seeking all these years? Aye. Zok could barely restrain himself from barging through the door, but he would not endanger Freya's soul with rashness. Malovic's voice shivered as he spoke. It's a thing from the third hell, Zok. The hell of the beasts. If this is the creature that killed your wife, it probably wants the earring as a victim trophy. With it, the demon can punish her soul the way it did her body. Zok tore his gaze from the scene before him and looked at Malovic. The priest's expression was uncharacteristically grim. Forget what I said about caution, Molovic said. The third hell isn't a pretty place, Zok. Not even as hells go. The torture's there. The risk is worth it. You've got to stop this. Now. Zok didn't need to be told twice. The door splintered and its hinges screamed as he barreled through it. Zok shrugged off the splinters digging into his flesh, drew menace and strode towards the boy. The boy dropped Freya's earring into the basin, then fell back in fear. He cowered and quaked like a lamb, and then he fainted. Zok snorted in disgust. He saw little enough shame in thievery. At least it required a bravery of a sort. But this chicken-hearted timidity... Yes, Zok thought. Boys these days were a whimpering shadows of what they'd been in his youth. And Southerners were worst of all. But that didn't matter now. He was about to cut the little demon-thralled coward down when a voice cried out, Zok, wait, wait! And he felt the blood freeze in his veins. The voice wasn't the toad demon's dark, grunting rasp. It was Freya's voice. Zok stopped in his tracks. The demon's face was gone. It was Freya's face. 
more lovely than the face on the Emerald Empress tile in the flames now. Friar, he heard himself ask. What trickery is this? No trickery, Sock. Or at least, the trickery is at an end now that you're here before me. Where is the demon that holds your soul, my love? Zok asked. I'll cut him down whatever hell he may abide in. Oh, that demon finished with me years ago, Zok. He feasted upon my bones and left to find other victims. My soiled soul meant little enough to him. This, all of this, has been my doing. Your doing, Zok asked, glancing at his companions who kept a polite, silent distance. I don't understand. Sorgo is my nephew, my only blood link to this world, and thus the only living thing that I could visit, though only for flashes at a time, and only wearing the gruesome shape of my death. You and he are the unfinished business that binds me here. Your... your nephew, Zok asked, feeling half-witted as a thousand emotions warred within him. I, the only child of my sister, Croya, who died a few scant years after his birth. You remember my sister, Zok, the one we ran into at that inn near the Green Cross all those years ago. Zok lowered his eyes in shame at the memory of what he'd done with Freya's sister one afternoon when Freya had been away from the inn. His own foolish words from that day filled his head now. She reminded me so of you, Freya. She worked her wiles on me. I'm only a man. I do, was all he said. Well, I would hope so. You certainly left her something to remember you by after we parted ways with her. It only takes one tumble to make a child, Zok. It took Zok a long moment to understand what his wife's words meant. He felt his mouth fall open as their meaning dawned on him. Yes, Zok. Sorgo is your son. I sent him to steal my earring from you, to bring you here, where I first appeared to him. Such visitations have their requirements. All of the elements, salt water and silver mirror, a boy of my blood, and a thing touched a thousand times by one who loved me, are here now. And I can finally speak to you directly. When I saw how Sorgo saw me, I thought to haunt him at first, to drive him mad with fear. Half-death makes one vengeful, and he was a reminder of your unfaithfulness. I cursed my sister, but she was dead already. But when I tried to frighten the boy, I saw that he was only intrigued, that he'd been left to such a dead, dull life, that a demon's visitations were the most wondrous thing that could happen to him. And as the months and years rolled on, I came to love Sorgo. He is my nephew, after all. And despite his timidity, I see you in his eyes. But I could do naught but visit him once a month for a few minutes. And never in my own shape. But even those few minutes felt like a cool wind to one in the blazing realm of the half-dead. I don't understand, Zok said. I am... was... your husband... Every day I think of you, 
touched this earring till the engravings had been rubbed away. Why did you never grant me a visitation, even if it had been to call me to task? I would have welcomed it. I had no power to, my love. The weakest nudge in the corner of your mind when you touched that earring was the utmost my efforts could produce. The seven gods of death care about blood. Love and human contracts mean nothing to them. But Freya cut him off with the same look of pitying contempt for his intelligence that she'd given him so often when she lived. It's hard to explain, Zok, and I haven't much time. If Freya could not give him explanations, then Zok wouldn't worry her further by asking for them. He only needed to hear one thing now. He swallowed before he spoke again. Do you miss me? He asked. More than anything, my love. Freya's voice was warm, and it brought tears to Zok's eyes. More than you can know. You think you long for me, but you don't know what it is to miss someone the way I miss you. Your arms, your smell, your dick. In spite of everything, Zok felt himself smile through his tears. Freya's voice grew brisk again. But I didn't bring you here to tell you that. I brought you here to tell you that Sorgo is yours and that you must care for him, Zok. For my sake, if nothing else. You two are the last connections I have to the world of flesh and earth. The shattered halves of the ring that I would wear before I go to meet the maker of all gods. I need to know that your fates have been forged together. Or I'll never know peace. But... I, I know nothing of fathering, Zok said. Then you must learn, my love. Zok glanced behind him. Hi-Hi and Malovic had withdrawn from the room and stood a guard on either side of the shattered door. Sorgo moaned and began to stir. Zok looked back at Tifraya's phantasmal face and nodded once. It will be as you say, beloved. Freya smiled. I will always love you, Zok. And this will not be our last meeting. Someday... We will wed again in the heavenly hall of hunters. Until then, keep my earring and think of me now and then. Freya's face vanished, and Zok saw only his own reflection in the mirror. Zok stood once again in the cellar of the higher guard hall, a silent sorgo beside him. Hi-Hi took tally of the riches around them, while Malovic read and reread a small ledger they found, hidden in a cunningly concealed lockbox. Well, the priest said finally, this is interesting. He fell silent for another few moments as he read over the ledger yet again. Very interesting, he continued. So this is what that mercenary meant when he said we must have been sent by the Empress. This is why none of the higher guard have come back here to harry us. Stop being so God's damn mysterious, priest, Hi-Hi said. What is it? It would appear, dear Hi-Hi, that this particular chapter of the higher guard has been skimming a good amount from the Empress's taxes and tariffs over a good number of years. A very good amount. Quite bold. No doubt this is the source of these surprising stores of wealth. You're sure about this? Hi-Hi asked. Molovic sighed a long, suffering sigh. 
You know I'm the only member of our merry little death-dealing troop who can read more than his name. I swear, if I didn't fear the five gods' lies, I'd earn myself a few moments of peace by telling you that this book was a ward warning, that all rabbit men hearing these words must keep their whiskered mouths shut for a year or die by lightning fire. Lucky for you, I'm an honest man. So we've done the Amethyst Empress a favor by killing these fools, Hi-Hi said. Still, I doubt the Legion will see it that way. They'll still want our heads for what we've done here. Molovic rubbed a hand through his red hair and frowned thoughtfully. Perhaps not. There might, in fact, be a way for us to walk away from this. If we move some bodies around, a few confusion and disguise invocations should be enough to convince any investigators that the thief-smasher went berserk before collapsing from its own corrupted magic and a few well-placed hints would let the Legion find this ledger, which would do much to make them less interested in avenging these men, of course. A smile crept across Molovic's sleepy features. A few alterations in the ledger would also allow us to garnish a nice bit of what we found here and make our trouble worthwhile. Hi-Hi's whiskers twitched appreciatively, and she gave the priest... A rare smile. Zok couldn't help but smile himself. Sorgo still wore a haunted look, but Zok thought he saw a smile starting to form. The violet light began to grow dappled with orange. Zok was surprised to find that he never noticed how beautiful the southern sunrise could be. He stood at the edge of town, the boy, Sorgo, beside him. Molovic and Hi-Hi before him, astride road ponies. Zok would not be going with his friends. He had a duty here. Shattered halves of a ring, Freya had said. Zok wasn't a man of words, but he had always admired the way his wife could talk about one thing in order to speak truth about another thing. Freya might say that the path he walked with Hi-Hi and Molovic was paved with sword blades. Sorgo wasn't the sort who could live such a life beside him. Not like Freya, with her quick wits and dagger. And if Sorgo could not live on the warrior's road, Zok would learn to live a different way. Hi-Hi twitched her nose once, and her ears jerked in different directions. You're sure about this, Zok? We have a good thing going here. The three of us. A good thing, Zok agreed. Hi-Hi's ears stiffened. But you're sure this is what you want? No, Zok said. Not sure it's what I want. Sure it's what I need to do. Molovic smiled beatifically from atop his pony, a wad of poppy chump already working in his jaw, despite the early hour. I usually have little reason to call on the four gods of the family, Zok, but I'll do so at the next temple, and beg their blessings upon you. Zok smiled his thanks, and patted the priest's skinny leg. Hi-Hi nodded once to him, and then his two companions rode off, and began bickering about something Zok couldn't make out. Zok watched them go until they turned a bend in the road, and were lost from sight. Beside him, Sorgo breathed wheezily. Zok turned to the boy. 
to his son. So, Zok said, first you tell me about this town of yours. Then we'll figure out where we go from here. And welcome back. One of the things I enjoyed in this story is the hero who's such a grump complaining about kids these days and how things were different when he was their age. It's easy for your perspective to get stuck in a rut sometimes, for us not to push ourselves to explore things from different angles. One of the many things Anna and I love to do here at PodCastle is explore all different kinds of fantasy, moving beyond the traditional epic or sword and sorcery, even past the urban fantasy tales that are so prevalent these days, and finding new perspectives. Fantasy fiction is so much more than that, but... It's a lot of fun to be able to run a sword and sorcery tale occasionally. Hopefully for you, our audience, those different perspectives make visiting stories like this one all the sweeter. I also love how this story is so crass and funny and also kind of charming, too. Just like me. Now, speaking of sweet, feedback this week is for Elizabeth Bear's Wayne, read by Marguerite Kenner and Alistair Stewart. This was an alternate history murder mystery featuring Crown Investigator Sorceress Abby Irene, vampires and other things that go bump in the night, set to the backdrop of a colonial America where the Revolutionary War never took place. There wasn't a lot of feedback on this one, and what we did receive was a bit mixed, focusing mostly on the dual narration. In the story, there were quite a few strong male supporting characters, and Alistair voiced each one of them, which led to some listener confusion. Devoted 135's comment probably captures both angles best, saying, I thought the narrators and the producers did a fine job of putting it together, but it wasn't the right story for only two narrators. Had there been only one male and one female character, or many of each, then it would have worked, but the imbalance of male and female characters made the two-person cast not work for me. So, once I figured out that the Aztec ambassador and the vampire were not the same person, well, I enjoy a good murder mystery every so often, and this hit the spot. The alternate history details blended nicely with the iconic grand ballroom trope to make the setting seem fresh. And all the relationships and character backstories were so well intertwined that they provided the perfect misdirection to distract us from figuring out who the killer really was. Well done. And Patriciamos agreed, saying, I felt like I needed a cast of characters to remember who went with what title, and the various connections between them. I did grasp the plot by the end. After all, only a handful of the characters were actually important. But I feel like I'd understand it better if I listened to it again and took notes at the beginning. That said, I thought the story was quite nice. I enjoyed the descriptions, and the mystery was fun. I'd love to have heard more about the world. Perhaps another story in the same world someday? Perhaps. Perhaps, Patriciamos. Although next time we'll probably stick to a single narration. Although, hey, I loved Alan Marguerite's take on it. Well, thanks to those of you who took the time to comment on our forum. You can get in on the action at forum.escapeartist.net. Let us know what you thought of this week's story. And if you like what we're doing, please consider visiting podcastle.org and making a donation. 
Every single cent goes to paying our authors and making it possible for us to continue to bring you the best in fantasy fiction week after week. Thank you. And if you can't afford to donate, not a problem. Write a review on iTunes, tweet, blog, just tell a friend about us. Thank you. That was our show for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. On behalf of everyone here at PodCastle, thank you so much for letting us share another story with you. We'll be back in a week's time with a dark fantasy tale from Daniel Abraham. Until then, get off our lawn. At least, you know, until next time. PodCastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. You can discuss this episode of PodCastle or nearly anything else on our forums. Just visit forum.escapeartist.info. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. Louis L'Amour said, There will come a time when you believe everything is finished. That will be the beginning. <laughs>